You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. What role models we have in our midst, 50 years. The rest of us that aren't even close to 50 years just kind of look and say, wow, that's, that's amazing. <clears throat> well, this morning uh, we're going to just bring out a few points from the beginning of Joshua. And as we had a very exciting week this week reading Joshua chapter 1 through 7, and boy, there's a lot going on in there. And uh, if Dave were to take us through on Wednesday nights through the book of Joshua, uh, it would take a long, long time because there's so much in there. And, and Dave can get into such nitty-gritty detail. Uh, so obviously in one Sunday morning message, we're just going to hit what I felt the Lord laid on my heart as some of the high points just for today. <clears throat> so there's so much in there, but we'll just kind of scratch the surface on a few points. Um, <clears throat> before we start, we, uh, since I've taught anatomy and physiology uh, before, one relevant question is, uh, and it's for this morning, for the message, um, who in the Bible didn't have a belly button? Adam? Eve didn't need one, right? No, and somehow or other, neither did Joshua, the son of Nun. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I know, it's old. It's as old as I am. <laughs> okay, now before we... <clears throat> actually dig into the book of Joshua per se, um, I'm going to just take a look back into Joshua's life that prepared him to do accomplish all the things he accomplished that are recorded for us in the book of Joshua. Because all of us are familiar with a number of events that occurred in Joshua's life uh, that are recorded back in like Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Um, so we can't go through all of those, but I looked up a lot of those verses and, and just made a little list of some of the things that helped to shape Joshua, things that we can learn from. Um, and so this morning we'll have the, the, in the entire message seven main points. Some are kind of interrelated, some are totally independent. Um, but from the book of Joshua and also from Joshua's life recorded before the time of the book itself. So, who was the most important person other than the Lord himself in Joshua's life? Moses, okay. So, in order to get a peek into Joshua's life, we also have to go back and remember some of the things uh, in Moses' life that occurred. Okay, so, um, 
Oh, and also the, the title of the message this morning, uh, Joshua 1 through 7, Courageous Faith in Action. Okay, Courageous Faith in Action. Um, now, first of all, we have to mention that from scriptures that tell us different people's ages and when uh, the historians have recorded what, you know, the different dates kind of match them up, Moses is about 40 years older than Joshua. Okay, so when it says in some places Joshua was a young man, um, one of the commentaries that I, that I looked in, it was said that that was an expression describing a servant. And he said a servant of any age um, would be called a, a young man, uh, meaning that you were the servant of the master. Okay, so when it says Joshua was a youth, Okay, it, youth compared to some of our ages, you know, T Ted Lewis and uh, particularly, but also Larry Benlin, myself, you know, uh, Mr. Runkle, you know, a few of us older ones. Kevin's getting up there now. Um, but um, so youth, yeah, compared to somebody that's 66, yeah, 40 is a youth, but you know, we, we don't think of 40, certainly, as being a youth. Um, <clears throat> so we're compared to Moses being 80 when Joshua was 40. So really, to look into Joshua's life, we have to think of the life of Moses. And we know that for the first 40 years until Moses had to flee for his life to, um, you know, he signed up for a, a quick uh, rapid course in marathon running to get out of town ahead of Pharaoh's soldiers that were going to, you know, lop his head off probably. So uh, before he fleed Egypt at around the age of 40, and we know that then he came back to uh, Egypt following the call of the Lord at about age 80, okay, and then he died at 120. Okay, well, when he fleed at age 40, um, Joshua, that was about the time that he was being born. Okay, so Joshua's born. He's, he's growing, I mean, yeah, he's growing up as a, as a kid. And probably, you know, Moses being raised in Pharaoh's court. And then it tells us what his priorities were uh, after he had grown up and gotten all of the training and all from Pharaoh's court. Uh, in uh, Hebrews 11, 24 and 25 says by faith Moses when he had grown up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin so Moses showed what his priorities were way back then and then he fleed Egypt Pardon me, and then Joshua probably heard of this guy Moses as he was growing up. We don't know that for sure, but Moses had to be a, a pretty famous person to grow up in Pharaoh's court and then come back to act as, as be a slave uh, among the Jewish people who were being tormented um, by their, the taskmasters. So what does that say? Well, that says... Really, Moses was already 
discipling Joshua before he ever met him, before Joshua ever met Moses or knew what he looked like or anything. You know, they, they didn't have, you know, Moses couldn't do a selfie back then, and, you know, they, they didn't have all these pictures and everything. Uh, Joshua probably had these mental images of, man, I wonder what this guy Moses, you know, looked like. Wow, love to meet that guy someday. Um, so, uh, principle number one is discipleship. Everything that we do, in a sense, is discipleship, whether it's our kids, whether uh, you're teaching Sunday school, and just us being members of Living Word, all of us are examples for all of the kids that are around us from when they're babies all the way up. And now they're serving among us as tremendous servants of God um, in our midst. And so all of us are discipling, whether we like it or not. Is it good discipling? Are we setting a good example or not? I think of some of the things I've done over the years that were examples for my kids. I'm like, oh, Lord, if I can only redo that uh, thing that I said or thing that I did or whatever, way I was driving the car or whatever. It's like, oh, Lord, please overcome my weaknesses and the, the negative things uh, that I was discipling my kids. Um, you know, Lord, overwhelm them with hopefully with positive things. Um, I hope they eat the fish and spit out the bones. Um, so, and all of us have, have weaknesses, some of us more than others, but, um, but God is faithful, and God will do it, especially if we're, if we're praying parents, right? <laughs> yeah, we have to pray for, for our kids for years, and some have already seen breakthroughs, others are waiting for breakthroughs, and uh, it takes a village <laughs> to raise a kid. And all the prayers of living word are powerful. So we need to be discipled. And we know that, uh, and even more deliberate discipleship. So later we know that Moses did disciple directly. Uh, he discipled Joshua. And so in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, a lot of the things we read in the Old Testament, it says, therefore, our instruction Paul said, and Peter said, um, that they are exemplified in the New Testament. So Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Okay, we have a wonderful team here from, uh, from some of us when we were in school. It was called Campus Crusade for Christ. Now they've shortened it to crew. And yes, uh, they were here yesterday too. They were for hours sorting clothes downstairs, and I'll tie that in a little bit later as, as well as one of our points, but um, who would know more about discipleship than, you know, groups like Campus Crusade or, or Crew and Navigators, InterVarsity, small group Bible studies, small group discipleship? Okay, well, that, that really helps lay a foundation in each of our lives. Um, for what God has for us. So Jesus said, go and make disciples. So that's the relationship that um, 
that Joshua and Moses had, and we'll make mention of that more as we go along. So again, that discipleship started at a young age. Joshua grew up hearing of this guy Moses. Okay, and then, um, interestingly, the next uh, time that we would say that there was direct contact, then when Moses, 40 years later, came back to Egypt, and uh, this time to be the deliverer, that was the first time that Joshua actually saw Moses. And when was that first time? Well, we don't know for sure, but it could have been. It said that Moses came to Israel. First, he met with just the elders. Okay, well, at 40 years old at that time, you know, a bunch of slaves growing up. Joshua was, was just another slave. Maybe he was one of the foremen, uh, Israeli foremen, over their own countrymen that then had to report to the taskmasters of Egypt. They're the ones that would get whipped if they weren't making the quota, like when they had to provide their own straw and couldn't make the quota. Uh, it was those uh, Israeli foremen then that came to Moses and said, Moses, you know, what are you doing? What's going on here? It's our backs that are getting whipped for this. We can't meet the quota. Maybe Joshua was, was one of them. Uh, we don't know. But possibly the first time that he saw Moses was when Moses threw his staff down in front of all Israel, and it became a snake. And, you know, he performed these signs that the Lord gave him. So Moses, just think, uh, with Joshua, the first time that Joshua laid eyes on Moses, I bet his eyes got, were bigger than his forehead or even bigger than my forehead, okay? He was like, wow, this is Moses, the man I've heard about, the man that left Pharaoh's court to come here as a slave and serve among us. Wow, he's coming back. He said he's going to deliver our nation from this slavery. Wow, this is Moses. And there, Joshua made a decision early on. That's when he was going to latch on to this guy that he had heard about. That's when he, he in his mind, I'm sure, made a decision. I'm going to be discipled by Moses. I'm going to soak in everything I can from him. So for each one of us, who are we going to soak in from? Who are we going to latch on to? Or what group of disciples can we latch on to to learn from? Okay, so if, if, uh, if someone doesn't have an individual person or a group of people or whatever, so Monday night mentoring, that's what that is for. The men's meeting, that's what that is for. Wednesday night Bible study, getting the teaching under Dave's great teaching. That's what that is for. We need discipling. And uh, Jesus said, go and make disciples. So let's be like Joshua and latch on. You know, be attuned to Lord. Who do you want me to be learning from? And kind of sit under their ministry. And again, it may be more than one person. It could be, again, several people. Okay, so Joshua made that decision to latch on. And interestingly, 
all that he was going to go through, the experiences that he was going to have, was all part of his uh, point number two is calling. God has a specific, unique, individualized calling for each one of us. So if you're sitting there this morning, you may be a young person say, I, I don't know what my calling is, or you might be an old person saying, I don't know what my calling is. Just cry out to the Lord. Say, Lord, what am I doing here on planet Earth? What's the calling that you have for me? Just like he had that calling for Moses, that even though Moses, when he said, oh, God, I can't speak. I can't go to Egypt. I'm not a skilled orator. Okay, God still fulfilled his calling in Moses' life. He wasn't, God wasn't happy at that moment. It said his anger burned against Moses. But God had that calling on his life, even with Moses' shortcomings, even with that lack of faith at that moment. Yet, God worked with him, and he fulfilled God's calling on his life to deliver the nation of Israel and lead them uh, up to the promised land. So God has a calling for each one of us. So some of us know what that calling is for now. That calling can shift directions as we get older. Um, I'm hoping to retire here in a couple of years, and uh, then I plan to do some additional, you know, some different things in my life than I'm uh, doing right now with working, you know, regular job and all. Um, and God can move us from, you know, from one ministry to another ministry, whatnot. Um, but what's his calling for you now? Just ask the Lord, Lord, what's my calling? Again, he may have already clearly shown that to you, but if he hasn't, just ask your heavenly father. He'll show you. So Moses had uh, just a couple more uh, quickly here training experiences. Just like Jesus trained his disciples and gave him some, he put them in some very interesting situations and, you know, so they could see, they could be discipled by the master discipler. Um, so in Exodus 17, 8 through 13, Exodus 17, 8 through 13. So the first time that the word that the name Joshua is even mentioned in the whole Bible is right here in this verse. So somehow or other, Joshua became the military leader. And so it says in verse 8, And Amalek came and fought against Israel Okay, at Raphidim 9. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out. Fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Okay, so and we know the story. Moses' hands were held up. And down to 13, so Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So Moses had done something to bring out the gifts, the natural talents and gifts that Joshua had to all of a sudden, here's 
this guy Joshua just appears in the Bible, and he's a military leader. Okay, well, among slaves, that must have been an interesting decision how Moses put people in different leadership positions when they're all just a mass of slaves. And now all of a sudden, they're led as a herd of people out of Egypt. And all of a sudden, Moses, they have to fight. He has to have an organized army. Wow, how are we going to do this? Um, so he said, okay, Joshua, go pick your guys. You know, you've lived among them as, as a slave. You've, pick, you've seen some of them and how they operate and all. So Moses, I, I mean, Joshua obviously had some physical prowess. He's going to be the military leader. Um, it's said that he prevailed. It was his, you know, sword and everything else. So he obviously, like Jesus being a carpenter, he was a very strong guy, obviously. And um, so he picked his men, and God used him, and he prevailed. Okay, so that was the first time, again, that Joshua was even mentioned in the Bible. Okay, now, if you can just turn a couple more pages, Exodus 24, verse 13 and 14. Exodus 24, 13 and 14. So that was where a very interesting account of where Moses and the elders, it says, ate and drank with the Lord. Okay, and after that, Moses arose with Joshua his servant, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. What does that remind you of? Who did Jesus take up on a mountain? Peter, James, and John, right? He, he took his closest disciples up on the mountain, okay? So here he took of all the people, he could have taken Aaron, he could have taken her, could have taken some of the elders. It says he took Joshua up to the mountain of God. And in 14, but to the elders, he said, wait here. Okay, that's like Jesus with the other disciples. They didn't get picked to come up on the mountain for the transfiguration. He picked his closest. So here he tells the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And Aaron and her are with you for any legal matter. So Moses and Joshua go up on the mountain for, for Moses to receive the law. Okay, so you can imagine what kind of experience is that for this new Joshua guy, the new military leader, to go up on the mountain of God while Moses receives the law? Wow. Does Joshua have a concept of God? He sure does, in an ever-expanding concept of who this Yahweh really is. So, so they were up there for 40 days and 40 nights, where, and from down below, it just looked like fire, a consuming fire. But here are Moses and Joshua in the presence of the Lord, 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so, um, so again, this is all the backdrop 
to starting the book of Joshua. Here's this military leader who already has this developing relationship with the God of the universe and an, an expanding concept of, wow, the greatness of the God of Israel. God made sure he had those experiences and was being discipled before Joshua 1.1 is ever recorded. Okay, now if you can turn with me to, to Joshua, um, we will make a few more points here. We'll pick out approximately one little verse or passage uh, for each chapter that you read this week, Joshua 1 through 7. But as we know, Joshua 1, 1 through 9 is kind of the foundation of the whole book. It's probably the most famous passage in the whole book. So in this case, we'll read uh, all nine of these verses um, because they're so important. Okay, so uh, Joshua 1, 1, now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, now before we go on, we just want to point out Joshua was in a position where he could hear from God. Carl recently gave an excellent message on hearing from God, different ways that we can hear God speak to us. Well, Moses, all those years of seeking the Lord and walking with him and being obedient to the Lord so that he could um, receive all that God wanted for him to train him to prepare him to go in and lead his people to conquer the promised land. So um, you, you don't need to turn there, but um, you could jot down if you're taking notes, John chapter 12. John chapter 12, 28 and 29. Jesus is praying. He said, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. Now remember, this is John who wrote the book of Revelation and all, recording this. He said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The Father speaking to Jesus, his son, down here on earth. Well, what's the response to that? In verse 29, it says, So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying it had thundered. Well, it hadn't thundered. God the Father was clearly speaking. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. What do you mean it's thundered? Well, guess what? The crowd of people that Jesus said, are here just for the food or they're here just to see a miracle okay that's the crowd they were not in a position to hear the voice of God in that way to them it was just muffled thunder that's all they heard ah thunderstorm eh, little thunder that's all they could hear that's all they could distinguish but Jesus, who was in tune with his heavenly Father, he could hear the clear 
voice of God. And hopefully, it doesn't record, but hopefully his disciples could hear that clear voice of God too. Maybe Jesus had to tell them afterward, but it's just said that the crowd only heard it as just thunder. So where are we in our walk with the Lord? Just as Carl challenged us not long ago, are we able to really hear from God? So let's not be one of the crowd. Let's be one who's in tune like Joshua was. Joshua could hear clearly from the Lord speaking to him. Okay, so in verse 2, again, God speaking to Joshua, who could hear the voice of God, said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan. Okay, you and all this people to the land which I am giving tem, to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now we know some, of the, some promises that God makes, there are conditions attached to them. As we'll see with AI, what's the condition? No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Well, it was that there was no sin in the camp, right? When there's sin, that can alter God's promises to us in some cases. Okay, um, but as long as, in other words, Joshua, as long as... He, everything's lined up with my word and there's obedience, then no one will be able to stand before you. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. We heard this morning through Gretchen's prophecy as God spoke to Abraham and Abraham obeyed, okay, that promise through the generations. Now Joshua was going to be the fulfillment of the promises given to the fathers. Only be strong and very courageous. You're going to need it, Joshua. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. So not half the law, not three-quarters of the law, not nine-tenths of the law all the law and as we know now the only way the law can be carried out in our lives is through the power of the holy spirit okay god's grace in each of our lives is what gives us the power uh, to overcome sin and to walk in all the law that that god gave as we know jesus was the fulfillment of the law do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will have, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success, or some translations say good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wow, what a set of promises God just gave to Moses. So we see that when God gives us a calling to do something, as he called Moses, he's called Joshua, God will give us the strength, the inner fortitude, um, and he will give us the encouragement to carry out that calling. Sometimes the encouragement will come to us in our own time with him. He'll speak in our spirit. Sometimes it will, we're reading through the, in the word, and he'll just speak a rhema word to our heart. Sometimes he'll send a brother or a sister to us to encourage us. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. Okay, so... We need to, to be free to speak those words of encouragement to each other to help each of us to push us closer to Jesus and to be able to fulfill the calling on each of our lives. Moses had backbone. Moses had fortitude. That's what enabled him to stand up um, to the 10 other spies and the whole nation of Israel back after they got back to report on the land from their spy trip. And 10 spies said, no, we can't go in there. No. And then everybody else believed them. And Caleb and Joshua, as we know, had the inner fortitude to stand for God and give a good report in faith. And then right after that, what happened to the other 10? <laughs> they dropped dead on the spot from a plague, and it was only Caleb and Joshua that were left standing. God will give us his endorsement. God will confirm to us that he is with us. We are going to be able to fulfill this calling that he's given to us. So God will give us his endorsement. And we see that with, with Joshua's, excuse me, his um, commissioning, his public commissioning in front of the whole nation of Israel, when Moses laid his hands on him and commissioned him to lead the people after he, Moses was going to walk up to the top of the mountain and, and die. So God will give us his encouragement and his endorsement for the calling that he gives to us. Okay, so uh, the next point or principle is God will give us his goals and then we have to achieve his goals by his methods. Moses couldn't just go into the land and say, hmm, I think we'll do it this way or I think we'll do this. No, he had to hear from God. Otherwise, it wasn't going to work. God gave him the goal and God gave him the methods. And so in our life, both our own personal goals, some goals are given to us by a boss at work. Some goals, uh, guys, are given to us by our wives or 
vice versa. I have to clean out my office now to uh, be able to dig through to get to, to the back machine that's sitting in there um, so we can use it to help people. Um, but uh, God will speak through spouses, through bosses, um, through spiritual authorities in, in the body, um, or sometimes God will just directly speak to our own spirit or, or through, his, through the Bible. He'll give us a goal, whether it's a personal goal or beyond uh, our personal life. But he will also give us his plans on how to achieve the goal. So that's what he gave to Moses. And interestingly, this passage right there, uh, Pastor Wendell Sharp gave a message on this just when I was starting grad school, uh, quit my job and was going back full time with a graduate assistantship at Temple uh, and exercised science. And Pastor Buck shared a message on that. And wow, that was just what I needed to hear. God's goals, God's method. So I went to Temple uh, and just, I was fired up, ready to achieve what God had given me to do at that time. And it helped me so much to, to go into Temple and walk by faith. And what, the things I had to do, I couldn't just do it in my own ingenuity or my own strength had to be God's grace. So he gave that grace to Joshua. So again, we have to get God's goals and use God's methods, whether it's studying for an exam, whether it's finishing up a school year, whether it's a job, at uh, a project at work. Uh, just ask Eric and John Runkle about that sometime. Ask Andrew, ask a lot, a lot of... Men and women in the congregation. Wow, some of the projects that God gives you at your job. Ask any of the moms, the projects that they, they have to do with their kids and everything. These moms that are working with kids to help them get through school. Um, God gives us projects, and he'll give us his methods on how to achieve them. Okay. Uh, now in chapter 2, that's the chapter, curiously, about Rahab the harlot. Okay, now this, these two spies are walking through the city gates into, into uh, Jericho. How did they get to the house of one of the local harlots? I don't know. That's kind of like, uh, well, so, you know, they probably said, gee, is there any place I can stay overnight? You know, it's getting late. I'm a little tired. And some of the guys said, yeah, it's over on Wall Street, you know, 152 Wall Street, you know, go on over there. You'll never forget it. Okay, well, they did that. They were in for a surprise, and so was... Uh, the owner of the local business. So, um, okay, in uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 8 through 11, if you're taking notes, okay, Joshua 2, 8 through 11. So it says, before they laid down, she, Rahab, came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that Yahweh 
has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, who you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Here's this Gentile speaking these tremendous words of faith. Ephraim shared some of those words with us last week about in the end of Romans and like Romans 10, how God was, Paul was bringing Old Testament scriptures of how God had a heart for the Gentiles. God was going to reach out to Gentiles. Well, here's one of the early examples of that. So, um, In Joshua 1, I'm sorry, in Matthew 1, 5, uh, it says in the genealogy of Jesus, it says Salmon was the father of Boaz. We all know Boaz from Ruth, right? The father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. So, Boaz, we know about his life. He, he loved the Lord, served the Lord, and through him, again, was the lineage of the Lord Jesus. And Boaz's mother was Rahab the harlot. So, how would Boaz ever be open to marrying this Moabitess gal, Ruth, she wasn't an Israelite. How would he be open to marrying this woman of faith from someplace else? Because his own mom was one just like that. Here she was, one of the Canaanites. And beyond that, she was a prostitute. So she underwent repentance and faith. And God received her in. We're not going to uh, stop and read the, this whole passage, but uh, you can jot down in your notes Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. And it said that God will bring the two. It's the passage where Paul's talking about joining the Gentiles with the Israelites. The Gentiles didn't have the promises, didn't have the covenants or anything, but God joined them through the blood of Christ. But God was already starting that. He already gave us some seeds to show us what he was going to do. So everybody, everybody, anybody can come to Christ. Even people that we would think, oh, man, they're so far from God. Man, why even pray for them? They're a lost cause. God has laid it in my heart. You know who I like to pray for? Those guys doing wheelies coming down Broad Street. I was waiting for a bus one time. In five minutes, I counted them. Forty motorcycles and three-wheelers went down the street roaring and um, 
pray for them. They're going to be Peters, some of them, someday. They're going to be tremendous evangelists. People like that. Pray for them. God will do it. Nobody is beyond being reached. Pray for death row people. Pray for famous celebrities. Pray for whoever. God will do it. Pray for whom God lays on your heart. And God can do it. Okay, now in, um, so that, that's the next principle, that, uh, that nobody is beyond being saved. Salvation is for everybody and anybody who calls on the name of the Lord. Doesn't matter where we came from, what we've done, or anything. God will raise us up. God has a calling for each one. So we need to be intercessors. Okay, in Joshua 3, okay, in verse 4 and 5, it says, However, there shall be between you and it a distance of 2,000 cubits by mention, or 3,000 feet, which is uh, 100 yards. Um, do not come near, there's the ark, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So God is leading us in our life, in his calling for our life, different situations, different places, different people, different demands, Oftentimes, we are in new circumstances. We've never passed this way before. We need a fresh word from God every day. We can't rely on yesterday's manna. What happened to Israel, except on Sundays, if they tried to rely on yesterday's manna to eat? Ew. Well, get that out of here. Okay, it rotted. They said there was a, it smelled horrible. They couldn't rely on yesterday's manna. They needed fresh faith every day just to get their meal. We need a fresh word from the Lord every day for today's challenges and circumstances. So again, that's how we need to be hearing from God, getting that fresh word every day because Every day, we've not passed this way before, and God's going to take us through some wild and woolly things through our lifetime that, wow, Lord, I've never passed through this way before. The pandemic, Lord, I've never passed through this way before. We need to hear from God every day. Okay, in chapter 4, In verse 14 from chapter 4, where they crossed the Jordan, Moses had, Joshua had them take the stones out, build the memorial to be a, a testimony for the future of the faithfulness of God. We walked through the Jordan on dry land just like the nation of Israel did through the Red Sea. And it says, On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel so that they revered him just as they revered Moses, 
all the days of his life. Now, obviously our goal here is not that people would revere us, but it shows God's endorsement on if we have a ministry or God has given us a goal that he wants us to accomplish, again, at work or wherever it is, he will give us his endorsement if we're walking and following him. Yeah, there's going to be opposition at time and whatnot, but God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, you're going to go in, I'm going to be with you, I, I will never fail you or forsake you, I'll be with you just as I was with Moses. And here's the fulfillment of that after they walk through the Jordan. God's hand was on Joshua's life. God's hand is on each one of our lives. And he will give us his endorsement uh, in the calling that he has given to us. Now, in chapter 5, next principle is God's provision. In 5, 11, and 12, on the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land. So 40 years, God gave them, provided for them food, the manna. When it didn't need manna anymore, he stopped that. He provided in a different way. Now they actually got the giant apples and grapes and tangerines and all the produce of the land for real. God was now providing in a different way. But it was the same God who provided for them, even when Israel was in rebellion, even during 40 years when they're waiting for the, God's waiting for the 20-year-olders the and above to hit the deck to take a fresh generation into the promised land, God provided even then, and God will provide for each of us. Whether you're a parent with young children thinking, wow, how am I going to provide for these kids? Or, you know, you're reaching retirement, like, oh, Lord, how am I ever going to, you know, live through retirement? Or if you're in between, or if you're before that, God will provide for us. We know that Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Now, in chapter 6, okay, that's, we are all very familiar. Um, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Okay, we all know that song. Most of us have heard it or sung it. That with a shout, okay, a shout of faith. Again, it's through faith that we achieve God's goal. God's goal to go in and conquer the land was obedience and faith. So what kind of crazy method is that? Walking around these walls and then give a shout. God, what are you doing? This is crazy. A bunch of the Israel soldiers must have kind of wondered about what's going on. But okay, Joshua, you said it, so we'll follow it. And archaeologists have actually shown that when the walls came down, they actually, you would have thought, well, f from a, a worldly perspective, you know, well, maybe the Israelite army pushed the walls in. They had battering rams and smashed the walls in. They found debris and parts of the wall out, away from the wall, not in the city, 
but going out. In other words, it imploded. The power of God actually shattered the walls from the inside, uh, the archaeological digs have shown. So God can do anything, but again, faith and obedience, hearing God's word and doing it, and then we achieve God's goals through God's methods. And then lastly, in chapter 7, the story of Achan, there we know that one man's sin affected the whole nation. It's either 35 or 36 soldiers died that day because of one person's sin. We would tend to think, uh, and Nehemiah and Ezra talked about Israel as one man. They did this as one man. They did that together as a nation. We would think, like, our sin doesn't really matter. It only, you know, it affects me, but it doesn't affect anybody else. Well, the principle is it affects the whole body. Jesus is preparing a bride without spot and wrinkle, Paul tells us in Ephesians. So when I sin, I'm actually slinging mud on the bride of Christ. Wow. So he wants all of us just to be focused on the Lord, fixing our eyes on Jesus and walking with him and being as obedient as we can, um, not thinking that, oh, it, it won't matter. If, you, know, oh, you know, I did this or I did that. Oh, God, please forgive me. No, Paul said, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. Okay, our sin doesn't affect just us. I mean, it's us and the Lord, but it affects more than just us. It actually affects the body. So the story of Achan just exemplifies that. And we know we serve a holy God. He knows our shortcomings. He is rich in mercy. We have the blood of Christ, thankfully, but he doesn't want us to be flippant about sin or to think that, ah, it won't matter, or ah, nobody will know. Um, he wants us to stay vigilant before him 24-7, to do our best to walk before him 24-7, not 23-7 or 21-7 or whatever, 24-7. Okay, so the Lord has a calling on each of our lives. He is faithful to give us his goals that if we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, we can, we can hear his voice clearly, not just hear thunder in the background, but actually hear his voice, and then we can follow his instructions to achieve his goals. And in the end, who's going to be glorified by it? Him. He takes all the glory. So let's follow the life of Joshua and latch on, be a learner, be teachable, and grow in the Lord, keep our focus on him 24-7, and he will fulfill his calling on each one of our lives. He will use each one of us, whether it's at evangelism coming up next Friday, just your availability to talk to somebody as they walk by on the sidewalk. You never know whose life could get touched through that. It could be the next Joshua, who knows, but just our being available and just being obedient to the Lord God will fulfill that calling on each one of our lives. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that your vision is so much greater than our vision. Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us, for your power is made perfect in our weakness. And Father, we know we are weak. We know that we fall. But Lord, uh, we thank you for the blood of our Lord Jesus who died for us. We thank you that you are rich in mercy. But we thank you that through your power, you can do great things through each one of us. And what's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.